Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. recent repeat flash flooding uh, in Greece isn't necessarily over. I think the emphasis is moving away now. There may still be warnings on Saturday for Greece, but equally, look at what's happening in Turkey. This is where we're more likely to see bigger, more frequent showers. They will also come down the breeze and catch the northeast of Libya. But again, these should be light issues. I don't think we'll see significant thunderstorms here. And the trend on Sunday is to move everything eastwards. Uh, the depth of the showers means bigger wetter stuff coming out in, for example, the Syrian coast or the southeast of Turkey. And the breeze means it'll cool down in the Levant, which is a trend that exists through Iraq as well. Down to about 40 degrees typically, still humid 40 in Doha, for example, a dry 45 in the last couple of days in Medina and that sort of area, coming down to 42, so there's a cooling trend here as well. And between Saturday and Sunday, really the emphasis is on bigger showers coming out through Turkey and again, increasingly like to hit Lebanon, I suspect. There might be some worthwhile rain in Somalia. It's the right time of the year as the rains go south, but there's not much of it. There's not much in Kenya or indeed in Ethiopia, but it is there at least. Down in southern Africa, particularly South Africa, another storm system's coming through into the Western Cape. Ahead of it, though, Maputo, that northerly wind means it's quite hot. In-depth analysis of the day's headlines. A million euros to help Tunisia address migration. Is it going to ease the migrant crisis or make it worse? Informed opinions. We need more investors and more people that make key decisions to embrace women's football. Frank assessments. This balance between deterrence and reassurance is particularly important for the Biden administration. Inside Story on Al Jazeera. Oil-rich Iraq is facing a crisis and a far more vital resource, water. As dams built by its upstream neighbors restrict flow, underinvestment and climate change are exacerbating the situation. Now, in regions where settled farming first emerged, tensions are rapidly rising. People in power investigates whether this could be... It's a pleasure to have you on another edition of The Baby Doctor with me, Bernice Apubeidulansa. Today we're going to discuss something very topical and urgent. Eight out of ten preterm and six out of ten full-term babies develop jaundice. Now, usually people say it's harmless 
and it's common, but it can also be fatal and dangerous to your child's health. Here in Ghana, the Pediatric Society has dedicated the entire month of May to raise awareness on the condition. And today, I've got a very seasoned pediatrician to help us have that discussion. You don't want to go away. Today's will be super exciting. When you enter any of our COI facilities, you will be met by our pleasant front desk offices, where your child will be registered in our system, after which you will be led to the nurse's station. Our competent nurses will triage your child and the needed first aid care will be given when necessary. Your next point will be the consulting room. Our proficient and friendly doctors will examine your child and give the appropriate diagnosis and treatment. From the consulting room, you may require the services of our laboratory, which is managed by highly skilled laboratory scientists, and then to our well-equipped pharmacy. When it becomes necessary to admit your child, you will be nursed in either our general ward or private ward according to your preference. At COI, we aim at giving you the best, your child's well-being, our passion. Doctor, today, like I said, we will be treating the condition jaundice. We'll be looking at what causes it and uh, what the remedies are. And I've been joined today by Dr. Christine Oseyabwa. We love to call her Dr. Koi because that's like, you know, friendly and exciting because she's a pediatrician, a consultant pediatrician and a public health specialist. And today she'll be helping us delve into this issue. She's with Koi Pediatrics located in Tema. Doc, it's a pleasure to have you here this uh, today. And uh, thank you so much for uh, agreeing to have this very important conversation with us. And I see that you're wearing your yellow hair, yellow month shirt. Um, basically, tell us about why this is important and why the Pediatric Society of Ghana is embarking on this campaign. Then we'll zoom into uh, the conversation. Okay, thank you, Benis. And um, I must say, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Yes, why are we dedicating a whole month to talk about um, neonatal jaundice? It's simply because if it is missed, the effects are, are, are fatal and most of the damage caused cannot be reversed. But then it is avoidable. No child needs to go through that process. And so that's why we believe that with the right knowledge and the right interventions at the right time, every child will be spared the, def the, 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 the damage that they get from neonatal jaundice. Mm. The jaundice, um, the damage affects the brain and it is permanent. And so the child has a lot more disabilities than he ever bargained for. And nothing can be done to reverse them. Mm -hmm. What we are able to do is to just help the child manage the disability. But that we think that is an unnecessary harm done to a child who was hitherto born well. Mm. So doc, what is neonatal jaundice? 
neonatal jaundice. Okay, neonate is a, a child, a, a newborn. Mm. So a baby born in the first month of life, we call you a neonate. Okay, good. Jaundice, John or June, that's the French word for yellow. Oh. Yes, so a yellow baby is neonatal jaundice. Basically. Basically. Mm -hmm. And so when we say the baby is yellow, it means that the skin mm -hmm. and then the eyes, or let's say the mucosa, that's, if you look in the mouth, it looks yellow because we are dark skin, so sometimes mm -hmm. you, can, yeah, you can miss it. But when we say somebody is yellow, that's jaundice. The person's eyes have turned yellow. The skin is looking more yellow than it should be. The person is jaundiced. Mm. Simple. Simple. Yes. So, um, in my introduction, I shared some statistics. Eight out of ten uh, preterm pre babies, babies yes. and six out of ten, ten term babies, babies yes. um, end up having jaundice. What causes it? Okay. It's, it is caused by some changes that happen when a child is born. And so, to put it in context, let me start from when the child is in the mother's womb. Okay. When the child is in the mother's womb, he needs a lot more of red blood cells. That's the blood cells that, um, the cells in the blood that carries oxygen to the brain and to every part of our body. We all use our red blood cells to make sure we get enough oxygen to the different parts of our body. And so that's what happens to a newborn. Because he's drawing from mommy. In the, in the womb. He needs a lot more. Okay. But when baby comes on earth mm. and his lungs begin to work, then he doesn't need that much okay. HB or red blood. Right. And so the body begins to break down the excess mm. so that he doesn't have more than necessary. Right. When the body breaks down the red cells, there's a part of it we call the him. And when it breaks down, then we form the bilirubin. The bilirubin is the yellow ones that give you your skin color. Mm. And when normally the body breaks down the him, the bilirubin is held by some boys or a mother called mm. Mother Plasma. Okay. And she holds the baby, the boy, the child bilirubin as they walk in the blood cells and take them to the liver mm. to deal with it so that it comes out in our urine, in our poop, in a form that is not harmful. Okay. When a baby is born and is producing a lot more him, then we have so many bilirubins, so mama plasma has not got enough hands right. to hold on to all the baby bilirubins. So some of the baby bilirubins are let loose and they start um, loitering around the, the street, gallivanting the street of red, <laughs> the bloodstream. Mm. And then they decide to stray. So when a lot of them are there, you know, when children, children get adventurous, so they come up with the idea of going to places and they end up in the, the brain Ooh. of the child. When it gets into the brain of the child, it goes to destroy the cells mm. in the brain. Mm. And that is permanent. And so that is what happens in neonatal jaundice. It's the bilirubin that is in excess and the liver cells who are also now maturing and so are now working hard to get rid. So you have this excess mm. loitering around. Also, at the same time, we know that when, you are, when the liver breaks down the bilirubin, they have to come out in the poo-poo or the urine. When a baby is born and he's not um, feeding well to, to poo-poo, then they stay in the gut for longer. Okay. And then they begin to go back into the Again. bloodstream. Yes. Oh. We, call, we call it, I don't want to use big names, mm. 
but then yeah, so I think I'll leave it out. But if some <laughs> go back into the into the bloodstream and then they break them down again. And so basically that's what happens in the first week of life. Mm. And that is always the tricky part of life. Mm. Subsequently, the brain gets matures, so it doesn't allow little boys to stray into the brain. Mm. And then also the liver matures, and so then it can break it down. It can take care of the bilirubin boys and girls, and mm. they don't get any naughty work to do. Okay. So in a nutshell, that's what happens. Right. So we understand that there are different types of jaundice. You've just yes. basically told us why it happens and what causes us to see the yellow pigmentations in the eye and on the skin and sometimes in the mouth. But what are the types and how do you handle the types of jaundice? Okay. For the medical person, we may give it different jargons. But then for everybody, I think we can group them into the physiologic okay. and then the pathologic. Pathology means disease. Physiology okay. means a normal happening in life. So we have the physiologic and the pathologic. The pathologic can be direct and indirect. Okay. I'm sure that's the word you wanted to use. Yes. <laughs> so the physiologic is predominantly indirect, but even under the indirect, we have the physiologic and then the pathologic. And under pathology, you can have indirect and the direct. The indirect ones have a lot of bilirubin floating around. The direct ones, they, we call those bilirubins unconjugated. They have not been touched. And then the conjugated ones are the bilirubin that has gone through the liver, has undergone necessary changes, but the, there is a problem. Okay. And so sometimes it's because the gateway for the one that has been changed to go out of the body is blocked. Mm. And so you will have extra bilirubin, but it's conjugated in the bloodstream. Okay. Because when they were, they were changed, they could not go out. Okay. So I think in simple terms, that is it. Mm. But then what I think is of interest to listeners is that the pathologic is any of the jaundice that we put under pathologic is problematic. Okay. And the physiologic, which is not problematic, is a diagnosis of exclusion. So we have to confirm or convince ourselves that this yellow eyes we are seeing it's not is not pathologic. There is no disease process underlying it. Okay. And when we have convinced ourselves of that, and the level won't harm anybody or will not cross, will not have enough of the bilirubin boys going into the brain, then we say physiologic. And that normally will clear within a week. Okay. Yes. Even with or without any intervention. But you cannot tell from a child's face that this one is physiologic, that is pathologic. So that's why we are changing the narrative that just go to the hospital and let a doctor convince him or herself that it is not pathologic. Mm. Then you can go home and, and wait for your, your baby's eyes to get white again. Right. So basically, I think what we are learning from Doc is that you and I cannot detect what is causing the yellow we see in the eyes of the child. And so you must get a health professional to check that child and give you the all clear that everything is fine. And the early detection is what Doc is preaching here. And uh, the Pediatric Society of Ghana is preaching the same by extension get your child checked. Doc, in the first week of birth, it is important? Yes, it is super important. And so if I will share with our, our mothers, my personal philosophy is from day one, 
learn to blanch the nose of your child. Press the bridge of the nose. Yeah. The tip of the nose, not the this, the tip. The tip and look yeah. at the color. Okay. It from will, the first day. From day one. It will look very pinkish. Day two, come out of the room, check again. If you see that that color is changing, then your baby may be getting jaundiced. So you need to send the child to the hospital for the doctor or the midwife to check. In the past, when we were staying in hospital for days before we went home, it was okay because the, the nurses will come around in the morning and, and check, the doctor will come. But now you deliver in the morning and by evening you are home. And we know that a lot of these jaundice occur within the first three days of life. Okay. And so it's in your interest as a new mother to check from day one and so that you can see whether there's any difference. And please don't keep your child indoors. Mm. Step out. Come to the porch. Into the open. Into the open. I mean, or draw your curtains okay. so that you can see. Because the day you gave birth, you saw your baby's face. And then you press. So the second day when you check, you can always tell when there is a difference. So, Doc, you're, you're yes. saying that it's always best to check or do the, the test on the nose in a clearly lit uh, yes. place, preferably outside. Outside. Preferably outside. Okay. And the good thing is now we, many of us are in gated homes. And so... But they <clears> say, though, you know, sometimes, you see, the, the tradition must go on. I know. When you have a child... No evil eyes should see Exactly. The you're told that oh, <laughs> you need to keep the child at least for a week, then you outdoor. That is the actual outdooring. Right now, because of modernity and all people are... You know, shelving the outdooring for naming ceremonies where some can even do it three months after the child is born. Yeah, when well, yeah, the child is sitting. <laughs> <laughs> but we are told that traditionally the child is outdoored on the seventh day. Um, yes, which was true. I think then they were trying to outdooring meant others came to see the child. Okay, not necessarily the child. the child going outdoors. Out. Yes. Okay. So outdoor, you were in a compound house. If you came out of the room with a baby, everybody will come and see the baby, whether it's a boy or a girl, and congratulate you. And that came with the challenge of infections and other things. But I think stepping out, now we know better. Mm. It's, it's, it's heart-rendering when you see a child coming after, after days of being so jaundiced and you know that so much harm mm. has already been done. Mm. So I think for, for our new dispensation... There is wisdom in, in, in stepping out every day to at least check. It doesn't mean go around the whole neighborhood <laughs> showing off your new baby, but then you should come out and make sure that your baby is well. Mm. Yes. Right. So, Doc, I mean, I want to believe there's absolutely no way a child can be jaundiced without presenting the yellow pigmentation right so yes. uh, so then i mean these are the ways you can detect are there other ways beyond that um no john this is yellow mm. yellow skin so right. if you if you are if you're if there's no yellow then, then the there's no jaundice. no jaundice but then we know that when there's yellow then sometimes the people may give us some idea of which type of jaundice we are dealing with okay. but for us for me i think for the new mothers the key thing is that when you see the color move and leave the other decisions for for the health worker mm -hmm. but then you should take note of the pupu color 
if we go and the poo is all pale and white, then we are looking at direct that oh. we talked about, yes. And if it's all the normal baby poo then we know that, okay, it may be indirect. Mm -hmm. So it guides us. So when you go to the hospital, those pieces of information are useful to the health care provider. But then it is not for a mother at home to look at pupu color mm. and decide that this is a no problem during this, so mm. let me keep the child at home. Mm. Because you may be sitting on a, on a time bomb. Mm. Yes. Doc, you said something interesting about our skin complexion and why, um, because some of us are very dark in complexion, the, like, skin, like the skin alone may not give you the signals, as in so clearly enough. Um, well, yes, but then for a baby, most babies are fair colored. Yeah. And so if you, if you press the, the, the tip of the nose, the, that, the mm. normal pigment color goes away and you see a light color tone underneath. Okay. Correct. So when you press on it and that color is pinkish, then you know there's no jaundice. Mm. But when you press on it and it's looking yellowish, then you know that um, there is a problem. Yes. Doc, let me go back to tradition, um, because in, in some places you're told, oh, it is, this is in Kolayare, you know, with the statistics we shared, it's quite a common thing. Obviously, you've given us the reasons why, um, coming from pre, uh, prenatal circumstances into even the development of the liver and all that. And some will say, oh, this is not as yellow as, should we be looking for grades of yellow, or once we see yellow, we should move? Yes, I think from, from what we see in the hospitals, the person next, in, the one who is not a health worker like you, is not your best judge. Okay. Good. And we also know that we are racing against time. The first week of life is the key period. And so as they are saying, give it a few days, you are delaying. And the Billy Rubin boys and girls... Mm -hmm. Are loitering around and you don't know how many there are mm. and so we say when you see the change in color move you don't need to see it as deep because the deeper it gets the worse and normally by the time the color goes to it starts from the face I must say it starts from the face then it moves to the chest and so when it starts from the face the level is lower when it gets to the chest we say moderate when the, the feet and hands are all yellow, we say it's serious. Mm. Yes. And so when you, that's why I said the nose. Yes, yeah, that's I didn't say the chest. Mm. I didn't say the, the hands. Mm, the because by the time you see it in the, in, in, the, in the palms and the sole of the feet, it's gone past normal levels. Mm. And it's in dangerous levels. Mm. And that's when the likelihood that the naughty boys and girls will go into the brain is higher. So I say... Most of the time, those who listen to the relatively adults in the house tend to present to the hospital very late. Mind you, they say it's nothing, but when you have side effects from it, they are not there to support you through it. And so I think it's better to waste a little money mm -hmm. to be assured that your baby is fine than to just believe everything everybody says and have a lot of problems later. Mm. We have grown. M medicine has evolved. Now we know better. And so now we don't even preach put the child in the sun. 
as we used to. Yes. Going ahead of me, we'll come to the <laughs> because that's also one that we must discuss. So, just to clarify here, the the side effects or the the damage, the excess bilirubin causes, which is what makes it look yellow, is not dependent on whether it is physiological or pathological, right? So, because I mean, we started the foundation, we say the physiological is not a disease. I just want us to clarify that so that mothers and uh, caregivers can understand that even if it is physiological, if you do not go to the hospital early enough, it can cause some damage to the child. Um, it depends, but you mm. wouldn't know it's physiological or not. Okay. So that's where the issue is. But most physiological jaundice with the right interventions will not cause damage. Okay. So normally when it's physiological, it's because the breakdown is fast and then maybe the, the child is not feeding enough, mommy is not getting enough. And so as soon as you address the no feeding response. problem, you flush out the jaundice. And we would have checked the levels and mm. seen whether there are few time that the physiological may have such high levels mm. and so then we will put the child under light but if we check and then the rate of increase in the bilirubin in the blood tells us it's okay so the the doctors look at so many parameters not just the, the skin color mm. we will take a blood sample okay. and they will say we'll repeat the following day and it's because we want to see whether this is something we should worry about or this is the time that we can encourage mommy to just go and feed Mm. And, and come home. And so in the past, when there's no cause for alarm, then they will talk about sunbath. Mm. But because people are abusing sunbath, now we don't even talk about sunbath mm. because we have a more sophisticated form of the sun in the hospitals to use for the babies. Which is the physiotherapy? That is the photo. Phototherapy. The phototherapy. Mm. So light treatment. Okay. Phototherapy. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. Doc, is there anything a mother can do at the prenatal stage um, to help prevent jaundice in a child? Is there anything, has science determined that? There are a few things that mothers can do to, to, to help their, their, their babies. And I will list them as such. The first thing is during antenatal, make sure that you've checked your blood group and then also your husband's blood group because we know there are causes for the pathological one. One of them is the blood group incompatibility. So if your blood group is O and your husband is anything apart from O, then we know that there could be a likelihood okay. that your child, there will be, there will be a fight between the, the blood groups. And then also check your GCSPD status. As a mother. As a mother. Because we know that it, it tends to be inherited from mothers. So if you are going to antenatal, make sure these tests are done. I know in the traditional hospitals they do them, but sometimes because we go to all sorts of all different places for our antenatal and we are always busy and running late, we may miss some of these tests, but it is important. And even when you've done it and they've written it in your book, make sure you know what it is so that you are also educated on it as a, as a mother. Mm. Yes, so that's one of it. The second thing is, let's avoid comfort. GCSPD is common in our environment. And we realize that comfort makes, it, it triggers the reaction. And so the GCSPD is a protector of the red cell. Okay. So when you don't have some, 
or you have very little, then your red cell is not able to, is not well protected from some shocks. Mm. Good. And camphor is a number one shock. So we get children who are getting pathologic jaundice because parents have put camphor in everything because it got, it's got a nice smell. So even before baby arrives, we've packed the things, we've put balls of camphor in it to mm. keep all sorts of reptiles. And they so, even sell them in baby uh, shops. Shops, yes. And so that is one important thing that every mother can do to protect the child. Okay. And with that, you save your child pathologic jaundice. Wow. We are learning something, something yes. today. Please keep the comfort away from children. I mean, it's not, it's not helping them as Doc has, has highlighted. In fact, comfort should not be in the house. Oh, really? Yes, for a baby. It shouldn't okay. be in the baby's room. It, 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 keep it away. babies... Keep it away. When they are older and you know that they don't have any problem with camphor, then you can because the, 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 the problem with the camphor is more than the, the benefits you derive mm. when you have a baby and you have camphor in every corner of the house. You know, sometimes even the bathing bowls have camphor, the drains yes. have camphor. Everything. No. Let them go. Mm. Let them go till you are sure you don't have a problem. Mm. Doc. I'm sure there are a lot of questions on people's minds. I hope that we can address them by the time the conversation is over. Um, we hear of so many things when it comes to jaundice. You've, you've mentioned some of them in, in person, but I want us to be very emphatic in determining whether it is a truth or not. And one of them is that jaundice will correct with time. Um, is that a statement of fact or it depends on what we are talking about here it is not a statement of fact it depends on what you are talking about here physiologic or clear okay. all the others need intervention what kind of interventions medication or phototherapy as well it depends if it's indirect then it's phototherapy if it is direct then we have to know the, and the reason for the direct and correct the problem. Okay. So if it's a liver disease, we have to treat the liver. Oh, and babies then, at that stage can have liver disease? Yes, babies can be born with it. And babies can be born with um, the, the bowel duct. They are born and they don't have a bowel duct or they have a blocked bowel duct. Oh. And so, you know, I talked about it, 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 it's, it's processed, but it can't come out. Mm. Yes, so we have to find out what is the cause of the jaundice then we can say that it will end with time. Yes, many may will end with time, but what effects do they leave in their trail is the problem. Mm. So they cannot, you cannot be jaundice um, forever, but then... What, at, what will it leave you with? What will it leave you with? And wh or where will it take you? Mm. Because it can take you to your grief too, if you ignore it. Yes, if it's severe and the cause is ignored. It can take you to the gate. So it's either it's leaving you with a lot of bad memories mm. or it's taking you to an early grave. Yes. You, you, you've spoken about the side effects, um, especially when in the first week they manage to go into the brain where you say that the, the brain's gate is not developed. I like the way you, you create a <laughs> mental picture for all of us so that it's easy for us to understand. What are some of these side effects? How do they present? What, what will the child mm. end up with? The child will end up with the where it, it causes the most harm is the base of the brain. That is where the cells for balance, the cells for movement, for hearing, for walking, stability, 
is. And so you get a child who will be delayed in, in attaining all these milestones. They may walk, but they are not stable. I have one patient who walks and he keeps more or less twisting and turning with every step he takes. And it is the effect of neonatal jaundice. Mm. Yes, because he had genital jaundice as a child. But apart from that, he's fine. But when he's walking, he's staggering and everybody's turning to look at him. Mm. And nothing can be done to reverse it. Some too never walk. Some too, it destroys their hearing so they can't hear. Or they are, they are drooling all the time. Mm. They are not able to, to hold saliva together. Yes, so it comes with a lot of stigmata. Yes. And then in some cases, it affects the higher brain development. So the child doesn't do well in school. As if, if you are not sitting, and then sometimes they cannot speak because it's affected the, the muscles of, of fine, the fine muscles. So they are speaking in a slurred manner, or they are speaking and you cannot hear clearly what they are saying, and their mouth is drooling, and they are rotating, twisting. So at the end of the day, do they even get the opportunity to be in the regular school like every other child? Not all the time. And do they have the kind of support that they need to bring out the talents in them? In Hi, Larry Elder here. I never really thought much about how aches and pains can reduce a person's quality of life until pain started keeping me from living my best life. Just a few years ago, using the stairs was difficult because of the back pain. Then I found Relief Factor, a 100% drug-free solution for aches and pains. Within a week, I was on my way back to being pain-free. Now I have my life back. I take Relief Factor every single day. Relief Factor can help your body fight the inflammation that causes joint and muscle pain and the other aches and pains that come with everyday life. Treat yourself to feeling better. Move more, live more, and just enjoy your life more with Relief Factor. Join me and more than a half a million others. Get started today with your three-week quick start for only $19.95. About 70% go on to order more because it works for them. Go to relieffactor.com to order now. That's relieffactor.com. Feel the difference with Relief Factor. Relieffactor.com. Environment, we know how limited that kind of support is. And so if you can spare your child and yourself that pain, I think it's, it's worth sparing yourself and doc it's at these interventions you spoke about phototherapy and in some cases having to give the child medication are they yes. expensive or are they readily available anywhere actually, in the actually country? yes they are available now we have a lot more phototherapy um, units in, in 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 ghana but i must say when i was training we used to get the bulbs a particular mm. type of bulb and create our own. We get a carpenter and make the wood. And so the phototherapy is the least expensive treatment. Meanwhile, the effects are just, are just beautiful. And so leave the clinician. If you will go to any facility when they don't have phototherapy in it and tell you that we'll be doing sunbath, um, please go to another facility. Okay, they'll be doing sunbath. Yes, you will put a child in the mm. sun. I will recommend you go to another facility because they are behind time and you are better off going to another facility and getting your child the needed help if you go and they confirm there's no cause for alarm and you want to come back home and do samba so that the, the journalists will go faster fine but do not take put uh, breast milk in the ice 
and do some bath. Whoever gives those options are way behind time, and they may cause you pain mm. in future. Mm. So that's what I will say. Yes. I, I don't know why when it comes to babies and mothers and pregnancy, there are all these... Um, myths and all these ideas about how you can deal with them apart from seeing a healthcare provider. Because I also heard a bit about putting milk in the baby's eyes and I, I asked myself how is that going to solve the problem? It's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> I take it on. you know, we always want to be seen to be doing something. Mm. And so that's what I, people try to do something about the situation. And mind you, many of the physiologic ones would clear. So mm. by the time they do their cominini for, for three by day three, it's clearing and they think the cominini has done the trick. But the cominini didn't do anything. It's just that God saved you because it was nothing serious. Because we know that a good percentage of these children is nothing serious. Yes. So I think that that's the best explanation I have been able to put to mm. all those maneuvers that we put in. Because the key thing for me is to feed the baby well and make sure that you are maybe topping up with express breast milk mm. and then seek help and let's make sure that the baby is fine. If you come and it's just on the tip of the nose on day three, baby is feeding well, baby is fine, the health worker knows that there's no cause for alarm. Or he will take the blood sample. Results comes, it's so low, you don't have to worry about Then we will assure you and send you home. But then you have your peace of mind. And then you also are sure that you will not have any effects when the child is growing up. But assuming the doctor at home, with all the knowledge uh, paramedics you have who are as good as yourself, does not help your child mm. in any way. Mm. And most of the paramedics cannot be sent to any, 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 any institution to be punished because... Mm. Yeah. They were trained and, and graduated at home. Uh, from in, in their own kitchens and The certificate was, done, was given at home, so there's no governing body to report to. So I think we should just be careful and let's protect our children. Right. Yes, a little waste of money in code for a blood test is worth it. It is worth it. It is worth it. We'll take a sip of water now, but when we come back, you know, we always try to get interactive with you to pick what's happening on the ground real life issues and get our our doctors to respond to them so doc and i will be doing that right after these messages when you enter any of our coin facilities you will be met by our pleasant front desk offices where your child will be registered in our system after which you will be led to the nurse's station. Our competent nurses will triage your child and the needed first aid care will be given when necessary. Your next point will be the consulting room. Our proficient and friendly doctors will examine your child and give the appropriate diagnosis and treatment. From the consulting room, you may require the services of our laboratory, which is managed by highly skilled laboratory scientists, and then to our well-equipped pharmacy. When it becomes necessary to admit your child, you will be nursed in either a general ward or private ward according to your preference. At COI, we aim at giving you the best, your child's well-being, our passion.
Thank you so much for staying on The Baby Doctor with me, Bernice Abubedulansa. Today, I'm having a conversation with Dr. Coy, and we're talking about neonatal jaundice. I hope you have learned a lot, and please don't keep the information to yourself. This is information that you have to share with everybody uh, because, you know, it's important, as we say in, in, in Ghana, it's a community that raises a child. And so when we all know these things together, we can help out a mother and save a child from uh, having lifelong uh, uh, side effects of neonatal jaundice. I, I told you just before we took uh, that breather that we were going to get a bit personal, share personalized stories and get Doc to respond to them. So, Doc, let me start with one where this young mother rushes into the neonatal intensive care unit of the Confanochi Teaching Hospital with a baby that is looking as yellow as the shirt you're wearing. <laughs> that is the most yellow I have seen a child. I panicked. The nurses were surprised that this mother had waited so long to bring the child and, and said, why did you keep the child till, till the child got this yellow? But here's where my question comes in. So the doctor meets the woman and says, we would have to drain the blood in the child and replace the child's blood with yours. But even there, we are not sure if that will solve the problem entirely. We need to run a few tests to ensure that we're given the right medications and interventions. What exactly is happening here? What is happening is the child has come at a late stage of neonatal jaundice. You know, I told you that it graduates. Mm. And so he's so yellow that the bilirubin boys and girls are all over the place. And our worry is that if we leave that child's blood as it is, there's so much bilirubin boys and girls, they will go into the brain. And they can't pass out? No, uh, we've got him to a level that mm. we can't wait. Because mm. the truth of the matter, by the time she arrived, we didn't even know how much damage has already happened to the brain. Right. And for that damage, it's only time that tells. Mm. And so the doctors and the nurses' main task was that let's get as much of the bilirubin-infested blood out and give this child blood that hasn't got bilirubin and reduce the concentration of the bilirubin. Okay. Good. So that's what they were. So we call it the exchange blood transfusion. We, we draw some of yours out, then we push in the new one. We draw some out so that we are hoping that if the bilirubin concentration was like, say, 5,000, by the time we are done, we would have reduced it to, 50, to 200 okay. or 250. And then 500 and 250, 500 are more likely to cause more damage than 250. But they said they were not sure mm. because there are so many other parameters that will come into play. If there are other causes of jaundice that I didn't mention, some could be from infection. I talked about mother's blood group, yes. So if there's the blood group incompatibility, they are hoping that... The, the reaction because what happens is that if mommy has the, oh, the antibodies, the soldiers in mommy have gone into baby and are attacking all the baby's cells, they are seeing them as enemies of progress. So, what we are doing is that we are reducing the volume of the enemies of progress in the baby and putting in normal no ones, soldiers. yes, <laughs> and hoping that they will stop beating the because they are not enemies of progress, so to speak. And then also an infection can cause the breaking down of the red cells. 
And so in that case, whilst we treat the infection, we know that the jaundice levels will reduce. Yes. But the key thing is to reduce the, 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 the concentration of the bilirubin boys and girls. And then normally after the exchange blood transfusion, we put you under the photolite. So you will still do phototherapy. But we know that they are, when you go beyond some level, the risk of brain damage is high. And so their interest is to make sure that this child does not stay in that high level for a long time so that we save what is left of the child's brain. Do you record fatalities in jaundice? Yes, we do. So that yellow baby may either pull through with side effects or may die. It's one of two. Mm. And so I'm sure you saw how they were all alarmed and they all reacted. They are like, oh my God, how could you do this to your child? Mm. Yes, so we record fatalities. We record, you can do all the exchange and everything, the child will still pass on. Mm. Yes, and sometimes when it's, there's so much damage, the child may be better off going back to the maker because mm. the quality of life later on is, 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 is stressful. It's stressful. So there are two questions here. It's about whether or not this woman had enough information on what to do and what to look out for, or it was just a share case of negligence. Um, in your practice, what do you see to be the issue when it comes to delayed um, uh, reports to the hospital when it comes to jaundice? Is it a case of lack of knowledge or sheer negligence? I wouldn't say sheer negligence. I think it would be unfair to say that because after nine months of carrying a baby, <laughs> you had enough time not to do the child any good if you didn't want this child that bad. And so it's more of lack of knowledge and misinformation. Okay. It's lack of knowledge and then misinformation. I know in our setting, the, the, the decision makers most of the time it's not the mother of the newborn. It's the grandmother, the auntie, the mother-in-law, the, mother -in -law, the retired health worker who is supposed to be all-knowing but may not have been that... Because, you know, in, in, our, in our space, every woman who works in the hospital is a nurse. Mm. And a nurse. Yes, so <laughs> even sometimes the person may have been at the records, but he's a nurse. And she will also be bold enough to give an opinion when she has no clue what is happening. So I think it's more of lack of knowledge, and people don't know. And so even when you say the child is looking yellow, she's never seen a newborn. She doesn't know what a yellow baby looks like. So she sees the child as yellow as what you are describing, like my T-shirt. Then even the almost blind will know that this is not a normal color. But by this time, it's late. So the most mothers don't even know how to look for the jaundice. And that's why we are, we've been spending time educating people that they should look. And that's why I personally say from day one, so that you have a clean um, a marking scheme. Yeah. And then you can compare. Because if I tell you day three, press and see, you don't know what day compare. one looked like. So how will I know the difference yeah. in day three? Mm. And so from my experience, I have decided that day one is, I think, the, 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 the the marking scheme, mm. and then day two. There are few children who will start getting jaundice on day one. That one is pathologic straight away. But then you would most of the time be in hospital, so the health worker would have seen. Yes. Mm. If you are going home, you see a discoloration of the child's eye, you draw 
whoever is there's attention, he says, oh, it doesn't matter, go home. And it's in the first two days of life, please don't go home. Insist on a second opinion. Because you may end up coming back with, with a sad story. So if you see it, maybe opens that it doesn't look quite day one, and whoever is discharging says, you go home and feed, please don't go. If they insist that they don't want to keep you in their hospital, go to another facility, because somebody has to do something else. Okay. Thank you. Go home and feed brings me to my next personal story. And this is a story I saw on social media, where a mother is talking about how she believes her child developed jaundice because he wasn't getting enough breast milk. Um, and in my reading, I've also come across breastfeeding jaundice. So I don't know if it's the same thing, but what is the correlation between breastfeeding or feeding the amount of food a child is getting and jaundice? Hmm, good question. One, let me answer this question this way. Breastfeeding jaundice is not common. Okay. So it's only a few exceptional cases, and it's actually a diagnosis of exclusion. You've done everything, you realize that, and for those breastfeeding jaundice, it doesn't cause harm to the brain. But then, new mothers normally don't have plenty breast milk. Some are also struggling to put the baby to the breast. And so that's where I have a challenge. We tell the mother, put, the, put your breast in the child's mouth. She has no clue what she's doing. She tries to do something to represent breastfeeding, and then they go home. And so she's not able to feed. And we know that. I said that if the, the bilirubin stays in, if the poopoo stays in the gut for a long time, goes back. Recycling. Back. Recycling. And poopoo is not coming out for the bowel to pass out. And when you are not feeding the child, the child gets dehydrated. Mm -hmm. Dehydration also makes jaundice worse. Okay. Okay. So that's where the problem is. People are not establishing feeds in a timely manner so that the gut bacteria will start working and get rid of the contraband. And then it becomes a, a vicious cycle and the baby gets more yellow. And so as soon as you put that baby at, under the light, get a child to get enough feet to flush out within 24 48 hours baby is fine okay yeah, so that's where the feeding problem so it's more of problems with feeding which is making the jaundice worse as against breastfeeding jaundice breastfeeding jaundice happens yes but it's in it's in a few cases mm. it's in a few cases and now some enzymes misbehave so but most of the time even for the breastfeeding jaundice when you continue Eclairs. Interesting. Uh, if you just joined us today, we are talking about neonatal jaundice and a, a very, very important subject. And Doc has clearly established why it happens and unfortunately the irreversible effects of, of, of jaundice here. So please, you want to spread the message and catch a repeat broadcast of this program if you missed it from the beginning, because this is knowledge that you should acquire. It will help you and help another person. So, Doc, what's the, what's the big dream for the Pediatric Society of Ghana? Every year you create awareness in the month of May about jaundice. What is the, the goal? What is that one thing that you are looking forward to in the coming years as you continue this campaign? Our biggest dream is to make sure that no child 
suffers any side effects from the natal jaundice. And that every child whose eyes get yellow gets seen and is protected from any negative side effects of, of, of jaundice. So that's our, our biggest dream. No child should have any side effects from jaundice because it's preventable. Right. It's now time for us to share our tips with you for today. And uh, once we're done with that, we'll be back to give you uh, the important information you need to know about Koi Pediatrics. Jaundice. Jaundice is simply yellow eyes and skin. Press your baby's nose tip on day one so you know normal skin color for easy comparison. Press nose tip every day in daylight so you can see yellow changes early. Do not sunbath for jaundice when no blood tests have been done to establish cause of jaundice. Hope you kept those notes, vital information for you to keep and uh, help somebody or help your child out when it comes to the issue of jaundice. I've still got Dr. Coy with us. And uh, Doc, before you go, you've been doing this for, for how many years, taking care of babies and children? Oh, for, for, for more than two decades. Wow. Yes. Yes, for more than two decades. Practicing medicine is, is three decades, almost. But for pediatrics, yes. And COI, pediatrics is 15 years this year. Yes, it started as a small after um, afternoon clinic. But serious business, 10 years. And COI has grown from a small facility into a big facility. We have two, two clinics now, which run 24-hour service for children. Yes, and there's always a doctor in COI at any time. Okay. to take care of your child. So that's what we do now. And then we have laboratory services at each location. And even on Sunday, our labs are open till 8 p.m. So when you walk into court, you don't even need an appointment to enter. Mm -hmm. If you call the number and you can't get through, just walk into the building okay. and you'll be taken care of. Mm -hmm. So COI provides regular pediatric services for children from 0 to 18 years. So, so you are able to vote, you qualify <laughs> to come to court. As soon as you, you, you get a voting right, then we graduate you. Mm. Yes, and then you qualify to bring your child, but not mm. yourself. And we provide clinical services and also support services. So we do all the therapies, behavior therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy. Yes, so any delays in the child, we would we have the therapists who who who, who provide services at both facilities mm -hmm. we have a neurodevelopmental pediatrician who will come and assess your child and so that is additional services that we have and then also physiotherapy additional and then also a dietetic service so these are additional because we realize that the child's well-being is supposed to be holistic it's not just managing fever Yes, so, <laughs> I like that. Yes. So we've provided these services. And then we also have a community health um, wing of COI where we go into schools and provide school health services. Okay. And the rationale is that we know that the average Ghanaian doesn't go to hospital for regular checkup. So the children are always left behind. So we develop this protocol where we go into schools examine the children but we don't we don't we don't draw blood in schools when parents are not there okay 
and then if there are any comments we send a note to every parent good challenge every child gets a paper in the past some will get and the question is why did you not get so now yeah. everybody gets <laughs> and it's good it's been interesting to be able to monitor the children annually and when they leave this when they after when they graduate we give them we have made a little book now okay and so we're able to tell whether you are growing too big too mm. fast or you are not growing as you should mm. or we saw a problem we referred you to you and you don't have to come to court because you've seen a child's problem at the key thing that the child should be taken care of by the doctor. Mm. And we've seen children with heart problems, with eye problems, interesting challenges that have been corrected because we went into the schools mm. to do the school screening. And then also for new joiners who are going to school, they ask you to do your medicals. We will do the vision, do hearing, everything to make sure that when that child goes to school, he's able to compete like his peers. Mm. Because if you are sitting in class and you can't hear the teacher well, then God help you. Then that's a problem. Yes, and it's, it's, it's not fair. The mm. child is not being given a fair, yeah. a fair chance, so he will be unhappy in school, and nobody knows what his problems are. Mm. And sometimes we find out a bit too late. And so that's why we do the community health wing. Mm. Of course, we are doing also, we do education. It's one of them. Go to organize groups and educate them, churches. We, and a few times we have fun. We do <laughs> fun games. Yes. So in August we are actually going to have a family fun day. Okay. Yes. That kids are always fun, aren't they? They are fun, <laughs> and we create the opportunity for them to have fun and still get checked. So they get a dental, everything, and then they are good to go. So that's a bit about what we are doing so far. Thank you so much, Dr. Koy, and thank you for doing the watching today. We really appreciate your company. Uh, you can locate Koy Pediatrics with a simple Google search. Uh, you can find their contact and location. That'll be it for this edition of The Baby Doctor with me, Bernice Abubedulansa. Let me say a very big thank you to Azel Vogue for my beautiful dress. You can find Azel Vogue on Instagram, and the contacts are also there for you. And uh, you can call them, and they've got you covered with all or for all your fashion needs. Catch you again on another edition of The Baby Doctor. Take care.
Central Commission is making preparations for voters' registration exercise from 12 September to 2nd October 2023 to enable citizens who have turned 18 years or persons who have not previously registered to visit the EC office in their district and register as a voter ahead of the upcoming district-level elections 2023. The registration exercise is in line with the Commission's mandate to compile the register of voters and revise it at such periods as may be determined by law. Every eligible Ghanaian should visit the EC office in their district and present their Ghana card or passport for inclusion in the voters register. Applicants who do not have a Ghana card or passport are required to bring two persons who are already registered voters to guarantee their registration. Do not register again if you have lost your voter ID card. Replacement of voter ID cards will start from 3rd October 2023 after the registration exercise. Transfer of votes will also be done from 3rd October to 9th October 2023. It is a criminal offense for a guarantor to guarantee for more than 10 people, non-Ghanaians and persons who are not 18 years of age. Guarantors who violate this provision will be prosecuted. The voters' registration exercise is part of efforts to ensure credible, transparent and peaceful elections in Ghana. Register to vote. Your vote is your power. The voters' registration exercise 2023 is here with us now. through the National Teaching Council presents the Ghana Teacher Prize 2023 on the theme, The Teachers We Need for the Education We Want, the Global Imperative to Reverse the Teacher Shortage, Guest of honor, His Excellency Nana Adodankwa Akufuado. The most outstanding teacher will be awarded with a three-bedroom apartment. First runner-up goes with a four-by-four pickup. Second runner-up gets a saloon car. The best teacher in leadership and administration gets a saloon car. The best college of education tutor gets a four-by-four pickup. Other categories to be awarded include the best preschool teacher, the best primary school teacher, the best junior high school teacher, the best senior high TVET school teacher, the best non-teaching staff. Activities include a two-day symposium on the 3rd and 4th of October 2023 at Akroma Plaza Hotel, Takrade, at 9 a.m. and a Grand Derba on Thursday, 5th October 2023 at exactly 9 a.m. at Ghana Secondary Technical School, GSTS Auditorium, Takrade. Sponsors include Media Partner, Ghana Teacher Prize 2023, My Teacher, My Future. I came home earlier than I normally would that fateful Monday after work. And to my surprise, I saw my husband and my mother having sex in our living room. I had always suspected my wife. I felt she had something doing with my little brother. And I walked into a room one day, and there they were, making out. And this is my blood brother. A husband, who is a banker, will not have sex with me because I denied him my earnest. Is he gay? I've been wondering. What is your story? What secret is eating you up? Why are you having continual sleepless nights? Do you need help? Share your story on our powerful new series where real people... The doctor will see you now. 
But do they really? Do they see you as a mother who's a daughter and a caregiver? A health nut with a French fry habit? An O-positive geologist named Patty who's here today for a melanoma exam. At Kaiser Permanente, we believe the only way to care for all of you is by seeing all that is you. Kaiser Permanente, for all that is you. Learn more at kp.org. Kaiser Foundation Health Plan of the Mid-Atlantic States Incorporated, 2101 East Jefferson Street, Rockville, Maryland, 20852. Share their deepest secrets on Prime Morning beginning this September. Drop your stories on our WhatsApp number 055-157-5757. Remember, a problem shared is a problem half solved. And every problem has a solution. Once every year, the finest marketing minds from across Ghana gather to recognize, reward brilliance in the field of marketing, celebrate their works, and connect. This year, the prestigious Chartered Institute of Marketing Ghana present the 34th edition of the annual National Marketing Performance Awards under the theme, Marketing, a tool for economic recovery. Guest of honor, Professor Abednego Fehi Okoyamati, Vice-Chancellor, University of Professional Studies Accra. The date, 30th September. The venue. Labadi Beach Hotel. The time is 7 p.m. For corporate table reservations, call Nana on 055-274-6592 or 0242-307-801. Come join us, wine, dine, award, and celebrate all night long. CIMG. Marketing means business. CIMG. Working for Ghana. Our electric shuttle pulled up and in no time our tour began. We were surrounded by a wildlife from the moment we entered the ecopark. We were greeted by experienced tour guides who took us through orientation and how to better enjoy the experience. Watch these animals roam freely in their natural habitat undisturbed by our presence. We saw zebras, sable antelope, brown crane, mara, silky chicken, nalas, Shetland ponies, and so many animals I just couldn't keep up. Our tour guides taught us so much about the wildlife, their behavior, and how to interact with them. I even fed them. We also went fishing on a man-made canal. Then we took a break to have lunch in this serene environment. All this amazing experience for this prize for adults? This prize for teenagers. It's a bargain. As the sun began to set, it was time to go back home, but not before dinner by the campfire. It has been a thrill of a lifetime, and I can't wait till my next visit. Safari Valley Eco Park, bringing you closer to nature. Owning a home is an accomplishment. When it comes to choosing our preference of living, we are faced with a dilemma. Will you go for affordability, comfort, or luxury? Well, we will help you choose your preferred home at a very affordable and convenient way. At the 2023 edition of the Republic Bank Love Affirm Habitat Fair. Slated for Friday, 6 October to Sunday, 8 October, 2023. At the Kumasi City Mall, 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. each day. This event is brought to you by your superstation, Love 99.5 FM, in partnership with Republic Bank. Powered by Airport City HDG Homes. And sponsored by DBS Industries Limited, Syntex Tank, the ultimate protection plus insurance product from Star Life Assurance, supported by... 
Commission is making preparations for voters' registration exercise from 12 September to 2nd October 2023 to enable citizens who have turned 18 years or persons who have not previously registered to visit the EC office in their district and register as a voter ahead of the upcoming district-level elections 2023. The registration exercise is in line with the Commission's mandate to compile the register of voters and revise it at such periods as may be determined by law. Every eligible Ghanaian should visit the EC office in their district and present their Ghana card or passport for inclusion in the voters' register. Applicants who do not have a Ghana card or passport are required to bring two persons who are already registered voters to guarantee their registration. Do not register again if you have lost your voter ID card. Replacement of voter ID cards will start from 3rd October 2023 after the registration exercise. Transfer of votes will also be done from 3rd October to 9th October 2023. It is a criminal offense for a guarantor to guarantee for more than 10 people, non-Ghanaians and persons who are not 18 years of age. Guarantors who violate this provision will be prosecuted. The voter registration exercise is part of efforts to ensure credible, transparent and peaceful elections in Ghana. Register to vote. Your vote is your power. The voter registration exercise 77% street debate. There are countless of people who have gotten into jail as a result of the work I do. So you are metamorphosizing from the journalistic point into the activist point. Doesn't that make you judge, jury, and executioner then? You can't do journalism that is impactful going by the books. And that is why I have no business fitting into the mold of activism. Fine words, but they don't cut. Oh. For you, people want to see change. My That's brother, okay. you're talking about the work that made my mother have to flee, made my brothers have to flee with their families. Nigeria has different laws that have been changed. There was... If that's not changed, then my name is not Rona. Hello and welcome back to the 77% street debate. This week, we are neither in Africa nor on the streets. We are home to the Global Media Forum, one of the leading uh, media forums globally. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. It's no secret for those of you who live in Africa that our media spaces are usually either not free or independent. And for that reason, some journalists are forced to do a work that they did not sign up for, activism. So today we're going to ask, where is that line, if there is one in Africa, between journalism and activism? And today I have a gorgeous panel here with me. Look at those African colors. Anas, let's start with you. What is activism in your mind and how does it differ from journalism? And can those two always be separated? Journalism puts you in that space where you get into activism, not because you want to, but you find yourself in that space. So what's the difference? I, the kind of journalism I do is naming, shaming, and jailing. And in navigating across that path, I go for hardcore evidence. I gather, I go undercover. I go into the court of law, and then I testify to tell people, to show to people. So I don't believe in exclusive journalism. I believe in journalism that impacts on the society. So My journalism is a product of the society. 
and it works because I managed to get people into jail and there are countless of people who have gotten into jail as a result of the work I do. So you can call me an activist, but I do my journalism and it dovetails into activism. How do you define yourself though? Do you see yourself more as an activist or as a journalist? I see myself more as an activist because of the end product that I get. Okay, Ruana, do you find yourself in these situations as well, where your work sort of places you in situations that you didn't necessarily sign up for? Um, yes, I do, and I absolutely uh, refuse that tag, activist. I shy away from it, I run away from it. Why? Because there's different types of activists, and I think if you are not clear the type of activist you are, you do, that's when you do get into trouble. And that um, line can be thin, I agree with Anas, but for me, I also see it as a very big, thick line. It's a big ass, pardon my French, thick line. So, for example, we have different types of activists. You are either an activist based on your personal conviction or you are pronounced an activist by your job or by the government of the day who's upset at what you are doing. People can also be activists because of the attention economy mm. where there's this increasing tabloidization of news and they have to perform in a way activism as journalists. And then finally, I think people can be activists, journalists can be activists out of greed. Because Out of paid, greed? Yes, correct. I, I said so. I said what I said. Okay. Anas, <laughs> you have something to add to that? I, I totally dis disagree with her because okay. I think that she's not looking at the dangers we face. There is no point in doing a piece of journalism and getting up and walking up on the same street with that criminal. I say I will take you to jail. I testify. I show the hardcore evidence. And I say, I'm speaking from a point of view of being a lawyer. Mm -hmm. And I say that Every miscalculation in undercover journalism can lead to death, can lead to fatal consequences. We don't become activists because we love it. Journalism is not a tea party. It's a serious business. I do have a rebuttal. I have to say, I look at activism from the perspective of the daughter of a journalist who was killed for being a journalist. Mm. So I know firsthand what it means. My own father was killed 15 years ago for being a journalist. He wasn't even an investigative journalist. So you can even get killed for being a columnist, apparently, yeah. for having an opinion. I know what it is. I had to send my family out of the country when I did Sweet Sweet Codeine, for example. They know what to do. For, for, for our audience, can you please tell us what Sweet Sweet Codeine was about? So Sweet Sweet Codeine was an investigation into the pharmaceutical cartels that sell codeine, and it was undercover as well. And uh, laws were changed. Um, codeine was banned within 24 hours and we're still seeing some of the benefits although that doesn't stop uh, drugs people move on to other drugs but I say this to say I have a clear and I'm living with the fact that a family member died I'm always watching my back mm. nobody knows I was coming to Bonn for example I just show up oh. and I post stuff on social media but I say this to say when you mix this activism, the problems that come with it means it's no longer journalism. The way Anas does it is very different, but I'm yeah. talking about the popular way. We'll, we'll talk about the st stylistic devices later, but I don't think we have answered that question yet. Naomi, maybe you can help me. And speaking about fathers who've been jailed because of journalism, yours is one of them. Yeah. Uh, so the shrinking media space in Benin, do you see yourself more as an activist or as a journalist? Because you're caught in between these worlds, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, I think I would rather define myself as an activist 
and I'm not, I'm not ashamed. Uh, oh, so you see yourself first as an activist, then as a journalist? Yeah. Okay. Um, because I believe you don't have to be a journalist to be an activist. So I am a daughter of an activist. He is a journalist. He has founded the... Um, private press, the first private press group in Benin, and he was always seen as an activist. He was under police custody billion times, and he's still standing, and I thank God for that. Yeah. So I'm trying to follow the path, but also to have my own um, uh, personality. Identity. Yes, identity as well. But I'm a, I'm a journalist, but I'm also an activist, but I have to be careful uh, yeah. Of course. Okay, so we've heard some impressions from Benin, Nigeria, and Ghana, but we also asked people from around the continent. Our colleagues went around asking them, how is the media f uh, space in your country? And this is what they had to say. In Uganda, sometimes the line between journalism and activism can be blurred. For instance, Many media organizations are owned by politicians with an agenda. Now, these employers are said to have a big influence on the reporting by the journalists they hire. Sometimes when criticized, politicians instead accuse journalists of being activists. President Chowere Museveni has previously described private media outlets as enemies. But also some colleagues in the media profession have willfully joined partisan politics today some of the most prominent politicians, both in the government and the opposition, started off as journalists. With several newspapers and over 150 TV and radio channels, Kenya has a pretty diverse media landscape. And while there are close links between politics and media ownership, the press here is still relatively free and able to criticize authorities. One famous Kenyan example of an activist journalist is that of Boniface Mwangi, a photographer who turned to activism after his experience of reporting on Kenya's post-election violence. He was later known for driving pigs all the way to parliament and coining the word M-Pigs for overindulging members of parliament. And so, while criticizing the powers that be may not always be easy in Kenya, it's still a task that many journalists take on. Corruption by politicians and public officials is a major problem in Ghana. It affects the ordinary person who lacks potable water, good road, quality health care, quality education, and many more. Now, reporting about these issues are the duties of journalists. And that was exactly what Ghanaian journalist Anas Arimeyawanas started early on in his career over two decades ago. But getting concrete evidence to prosecute such officials meant he had to go undercover. Now, he didn't just become a journalist in doing that, but an anti-corruption activist was hated by government, with some public officials declaring him an enemy of the state and a persona non grata. Anas hasn't become just a multimedia documentary maker, but now a leading activist who the ordinary people look up to for solace in protecting them from the corrupt and abusers. We've just seen there that Anas, you've been mentioned. And so just to contextualize, you know, why is it that journalists specifically in Africa are turned into activists? I'm just trying to figure out sort of like what the social changes are that you are calling for and why the journalist is the one to do it? I think that, first of all, the journalist is much more closer to the people. You listen to them and you realize that normal journalism doesn't cut. I believe in being thorough and doing a piece of work and seeing to the benefits 
what society derives from that piece of work. And so, if I have done normal journalism, would have, which would have been just published. And what's, the, what's normal journalism? So normal journalism would mean that you have identified your sources, you've gotten the information, you've put it out there, and you can allow the rest of the state institutions to take care of it. Oh. But I'm saying that state institutions are equally handicapped as we are as we are as journalists. So I don't see anything wrong with taking one step forward uh -huh. to meet a prosecutor. I, am, I do not possess police powers of arrest. Mm. If I find that criminal at that corner wanting to kill that baby, there's nothing wrong with putting our hands together and ensuring that that guy is busted. And I don't see anything wrong going to stand before a court of law. If you believe in the piece of work that you have done, why can't you defend it before a court of law? Okay. So if I stand there and I'm called an activist, so be it. I'm proud of it and it's good. All right. So Anas is very proud of the work that he does, saying normal journalism doesn't cut it. Omo, I know you have a different opinion about this. Well, um, well, yes, I do, but it's, just, it's still in line with what we were discussing in the sense that activist, activism, is, like we checked before, it's more about you know, campaigning actively about something for change, either political or social change, but you want yeah. something to change. That's what you're doing, what you're doing. Yes, I agree with the fact that if individuals think that they need to be activists, then let them be and let them be proud and let them mature themselves to find out, okay, I don't need to be an activist anymore. Like, it's important that people are honest about where they are per time, because that's the only way to do good work. Because if you claim to be something else because of what the ideals defined by society and to be politically correct, you are dealing with yourself. At the end of the day, you're going to be alone with yourself at night in your room. Mm. So so at the end of the day, it's going to be a struggle within yourself and your peace of mind that you lose exactly. when you don't own it. So I, my own point is, whether activism is right or wrong, I'm not going to define that. Whether advocacy is the way to go, I'm not still going to define it. I'm saying if this is where you are now, then be it and be it with your full chest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Until <laughs> So then how do you maintain it integrity, right? So if I'm covering gender issues, mm -hmm. I'm a woman, mm -hmm. I definitely have a bias on that. Mm -hmm. How do I make sure there's a line and I'm not just advocating for women and I am just being a journalist? For every article you write, you run it by somebody else. Mm -hmm. You should always have accountability partners. You should run it by somebody else to check you. At the end of the day, integrity is important for you. So run it by somebody else, knowing your bias, mm -hmm. knowing that you've done it to the best of your own ability. But being, being, having an opinion doesn't make you senseless or stupid. You still have a thought process. You can still think through it to say um, I still need to find balance to this truth or to this viewpoint. Okay, well, let's hear the other person's side, even if I believe it or not. That's still basics in journalism, or that's the ba that's a basic tenet in the work we do. Okay, personally. Shirley, I see you uh, nodding. Do you have something to say to me? Um, I completely agree with some of the sentiments that Omo has. Uh, some. No, I'll, I'll be clear on the ones that I agree with. Okay. <laughs> I also think that it's two hats between being a journalist and being an activist. Yeah. And like she said, you need to be very transparent mm -hmm. and be very honest with yourself and with others when you're switching one hat for the other. Okay. Yeah. How do you do that practically, <sighs> realistically? Yeah. Yeah. One of some, like the other thing I could add to what she said is the matter of conflict of interest. If I'm too emotionally involved in something, and I know that it's going to uh, uh, to affect the outcome of, of or the product of, of whatever I'm doing, then it, either I step I step back if I cannot be clear-minded when I'm doing it, or I have accountability partners, as she said. Okay. So unless back to you. Omo, you have something to say to me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. So the thing now is that I've been asking myself, this tenets of journalism, was it God that made it or was it men? 
at the end of the day, society, we can't pretend that we understand life. We're so different and so diverse, and we still cannot fully understand who we are. And so, yes, I know we need these guidances, but my own point of view, every time we talk about the tenets of journalism, and I agree with them, I came into the profession, but then I thought to myself, journalism was made for man. Man wasn't made for journalism. So at the end of the day, we should still be able to make some changes as we go on in society. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there are tenets. Yes, there are guides. But... Um, Is it, isn't that dangerous, though? I mean, at what point do you throw out objectivity? Yeah. At the end of the day, you still need to put in cons into consideration your ethical values, your morals, what you know, what you inherently believe in, because I feel like those things come to play in every profession, whether journalism, whether football, who you are inherently comes across in everything you do. And I'm a photographer, and the, the heart with which I take my pictures always shows in my pictures, and I don't know how, but it does. So I'm saying that who you are will always reflect in the work you do. So yes, it could be dangerous. I really... I I haven't been in this space to, yeah. to be to cover stuff like that, but I'm saying that it, the honesty in yourself to know that okay, these are my, this is what I'm willing to do, and I'm willing to take a risk. The world so far has evolved by risks that were taken by different people. Agreed. Uh, I think we are making a huge mistake okay. by letting people define what journalism is for us. Journalism is not about any Ivy League school sitting down and putting yeah. out terms. Journalism should be defined mm. by your society. Mm. At the end of the day, how does the work you do lead to the progress of that society? So what might be journalism, good journalism in America, might be a different type of journalism in Africa. So what kind of journalism would you suggest we have in Africa? I am suggesting that your journalism should be defined by your people. If your people need good drinking water, get that for them. Whatever it takes to get that for them get it for them. If it means that you have to go undercover and get it for them, go get it for them. Oh, Ruona is really disagreeing with you. Let me yeah. hear your voice. And that's my brother from the neighboring country. <laughs> I disagree with you so much. And it is not because I don't um, agree with the fact that norms in journalism have traditionally been dictated by the West, so mm -hmm. to speak. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. It is what we, it even translates all the way from the newsrooms into the academic. We do need some level. Wherever that comes from, it doesn't matter. We do need some level of standards. Yeah. And those standards dictate that there should be a very clear line on what is and what is not. For example, what will then differentiate us from the publics we cover? If we sound the same way, if we don't have any types of standards. Mm -hmm. I mean, just imagine if there was no standard for the type of drinking water we have in the world. Then it would be okay to keep drinking lead water that was drunk centuries ago and probably still being drunk, drunk now. Yeah, I mean, I, I get did. your point. Uh, hold on, Anas. Naomi, I want to come to you because let's just ground ourselves in reality here, mm -hmm. right? We have the tenets of journalism, perfect. But even with that standardization, it still becomes difficult to practice in, say, a country like yours. So are you allowed to color the lie outside the lines then? Well, um, actually, I'm not really allowed, but I do. I do. Um, Rebel. <laughs> yes. I really, I'm really on social media, so I, I am working for a TV press group, of course, but on the side, I write what I think on my social media platform. And on my social media platform, I am myself, and I can say whatever I want. Mm, interesting. But, yeah. Are you able to separate your identity as a journalist from your online personality? Yeah, definitely. How do you do that? Um, because when I see you online, I'll see the journalist, Naomi. Yes, you see the journalist, but uh, I do it a different way. When I'm a TV presenter, for example, I have to follow the rules. I just come to uh, give facts. That's all. On my social media platform, I comment the fact. I say my mind, but uh, not in a way that 
uh, will put me in, um, in a dangerous situation. So you're dipping your toes between activism and journalism, right? Yes, I'm in the middle. Yeah, but Anas, doesn't this make it a very dangerous situation then? Because we have the rules, but then we are saying we can break them when it's not convenient for us or when the society does not have structures for us. And we're saying, oh, by the way, when I'm out of the newsroom, then I can say whatever I want. You have to ask yourself, how do I do my work in a way that it can cut? Mm. And getting it to cut means that you are you are metamorphosizing from the journalistic point into the activist point. Doesn't that make you judge, jury, and executioner then? It doesn't, because at the end of the day, whatever evidence you produce, at the end of the day, there will be a court of law that will sit down and adjudicate over it. I have taken so many people into jail, and I did it with my own work. They had their own lawyers, and I love it because it's also a test of your integrity, a test of how honest your journalism is. Everybody should be given an opportunity to come and defend himself. This is your video. This is how you stole it. This is how you plan to steal it and answer to it. I think that should be the way out. Okay. Ruana, the question is for you. Uh, On the issue of trust, you might be well-meaning and perhaps you want to talk about Codeine, and then your younger audiences say, "Mm -mm, she always leans towards one side, she's anti-government, she's anti-this. How do you balance that out? So you balance it again by those sets of rules that are journalistic, that are ethical. I I think one point needs to be made. Impactful journalism is not always done in an activist manner. I'm not an activist. I do not identify as one. I will never identify as one. Can you tell me why? I mean, this is something that is very deeply rooted in you. You're like, I don't like this word. You're getting the vibes, aren't you? Yes, the vibes are strong. (laughs) I find activism distracts me. When I have to actively care about what people say or about my methods to the extent where I cannot control it, there's no quality control, for example, in my mind, then I have a problem. I will say that you can do journalism that is impactful going by the books and it is still impactful. I'm an example of that. When I did coding, people were very happy, laws were being changed, but guess what? There were still people that came to say I was paid by a foreign government because I, my surname is German. So I still got that flag and there were people that were still saying I am an activist for a different cause. And this points to the fact of extremism. You will always be called an activist whichever way you do your journalism. And that is why I refuse it because I have no business being called or fitting into the mode of activism. Mm-hmm. And Fine words, but they don't cut. Oh. For you. Yes, because Oof. if I was doing Codain, for example, my aim would have been putting this, and it's a brilliant piece of work. But does it take away, if somebody doesn't go to jail, does it take away from the work that she did? It doesn't That's take away, question. but people want to see That's change But change happened. And change, I have to change say, would you're happen talking about legislatively, the work, but I'm saying my that's My brother, okay. you're talking about the work that made my mother have to flee, made my brothers have to flee with their families. I have a stake, and I'm going to say change came. Nigeria has different laws that have been changed. Ports were opened, offices were opened in the ports, coding ledgers for pharmaceutical companies were reenacted. If that's not change, then my name is not Rona. (laughs) So I'd like to hear from you all. Based on what we've heard here today, do you still believe that there's that line between journalism and activism, or have you shifted a little bit? Let's hear your final thoughts, Naomi. I won't change my mind. I still believe... um, as a journalist, you need to, to speak about the facts, yeah. but you can't just speak the yeah. facts. For, for example, if there's a story happening and um, 
you know that it's not the truth, but the government, for example, is giving a version of it. You need to say out loud that this is not true. You, so you 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 are becoming you are becoming um, an activist somehow. You still need to follow the rules. I do agree with her. You yeah. need to follow the rules of journalism, not to be in danger. But you need to make uh, the public understand that the story is not quite right. Okay. Uh, let's hear from you, Shelley. I maintain that there is a line. And for me, what would be important is that transparency, that we know which side you're on. If you're a journalist and you want, you're an activist, you're a journalist, whichever hat you're putting on at whatever time, let it be clear to your audience or to whoever is listening to you because as a media personnel or as a journalist you have so much power there's so many people looking at you listening to you some even hanging on to your very word like everything you say they take it as it is yeah okay omo yeah. omo <laughs> it's fine um yes um, my own point is we will keep evolving as human beings, right? Indeed. So as journalists, as activists, as advocates, the idea is, the end goal is change. Uh, political, social, whatever change it is we're trying to drive for. But in looking at the next generation or younger people who, who are thinking to uh, come into journalism, I think what drives you is key. For Anna, she talks like it's a calling, like this is it, I must see you in jail. Mm -hmm. For Rona, she doesn't have to see you in jail, but she has to just expose the story. Yeah. And for you who's coming into it, you need to ask yourself why. Are you coming for the accolades or for the awards? Because yes, do a good job, you'll be nominated for an Emmy. Yeah. yeah but that's not why you do <laughs> it. Because at the end of the day, there's no need. Yeah. You're unable to sleep with... We've had journalists win awards and lose peace. Yeah. Because the story didn't feel right to win an award for. Mm. You won an award for telling the story about George Floyd's death. It doesn't sit right. So as a, journal, as a young person who's deciding, okay, I, I, I like to see people in jail. So I'm going to join, become a journalist and lock people up like an ass and be great and cover my face. If that's what you want to do, then but you need to consider why. Yeah. You need yeah. to know what, to what extent. You need to be honest that you like the attention and the accolades. Or, you know what, I'm going to do this because it's the right thing to do for my society. Okay. Motivation being the key. I like how you're yeah. getting it from your gut. <laughs> All right, Rona. So for me, I didn't, I, when I started coding, it was like, let's get justice. I had a brother who was an addict. Mm. So that was what motivated okay. me. It wasn't any award. I, I didn't know the Emmy was going to come. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But for me, more important is the solution. We need to overcome the divisions that this debate brings up in our practice, mm -hmm. in our newsroom practice. So I want to see editors actually sit people down. But we don't see journalists. Older journalists don't even engage. Mm -hmm. They just say, you're an activist, you don't know how to do journalism, the younger ones should leave. And I'm sort of in the middle because I'm not young, but I'm not old either, <laughs> just saying. <laughs> and so I feel we should try to overcome these divisions. Activism is not a banned word. It's not something that we cannot speak about. But exactly. as she says, let's be transparent and let's try to avoid polarizing ourselves because the audiences and the propagandist governments are already doing that yeah. outside yeah. the news. Sebastian Gorka here. I'm living a very blessed life as an intelligence analyst, a national talk show host and author, and I have an amazing family. But like many of us, aches and pains start to interfere with living my best life, even just walking the dog. But I found Relief Factor three years ago, a 100% drug-free solution for aches and pains, and now I'm pain-free and I have my life back. I take Relief Factor every day. Relief Factor can help your body fight the inflammation that causes joint and muscle pain. 
pain and other aches and pains that come with everyday life. Treat yourself to feeling better. Move more, live more, and just enjoy your life more with Relief Factor. Join me and more than half a million other Americans. Get started today with your three-week quick starter pack for just $19.95. Almost 70% of those who order go on to use it more. ReliefFactor.com. That's ReliefFactor.com. Feel the difference with Relief Factor. All right. And us, last but not least. So um, I learned part of... Country in 20 years, over two, over two decades. A very long time. You're probably going to ask me why has it been so long. Yeah. I don't actually have an answer. <laughs> I thought the reason would be because I had no friends here. Okay. I had family. I, I had you. Yeah. So what happened? I just, I just don't know. Okay. But, but there's a lot you yeah. we need to talk about. Sure. You know, your life know. back in the UK yeah. as a DJ a and a broadcaster. <laughs> Guys, he's been doing this for the past 10 years and trust me he knows what he's about and we're really glad to Yenko. How is that you, you, you. <laughs> How is that, that is terrible <laughs> that is terrible uh, but do you speak any tree though i i don't speak what tree i <laughs> He's so lost. And there goes my Ghana card. I know. So where is your Ghana card? I don't have one yet. I'm gonna get one. Though. Yeah, we need to get you a Ghana card. But uh, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. Let me tell you, everybody, this is E Vibes. This is another fantastic edition. We're here with Jeremiah Asiama. I hope I got that right. Isiama, Isiama. Uh, he's a broadcaster with the BBC. He's also a DJ. We're about to have. A very sensual, fantastic, everything in between conversation with the man, Jeremiah. So you need to stick and stay with us. We'll be right back. If you just join us, this is E-Vibes, where we get to celebrate uh, gallant men and women out there making the motherland proud and of course jeremiah is no exception uh, he's been out there for over 20 years and he's been you know making the country proud and it's very exciting to have you here on the show and to celebrate you thank and, you and to you know get to know you more yeah. so uh, let's talk about how you even uh, made it uh, onto the bbc yeah well firstly thank you for having me Obviously, it's my first time back in the motherland in over, what? Time. 20 years, like you say. Yeah. Sun's out, and I'm with you. Um, so I appreciate that for a start. BBC. Fwah. So I started radio when I was 15. Okay. Um, and I was going through a bit of a naughty path, and uh, I came across a fellow Ghanaian at the time called Clara Ampho. Um, and she was saying on radio, oh, if you want to shout out, just message us. And I thought, that's a lie. If you mm. message someone, they're going to take your money, and that's it. So I thought, you know what, I took my parents' phone, I messaged her, and she shouted me out. And at that time in my life, I didn't really have much friends around me who were genuine. And I felt like Clara was a friend that I never met, right. but I grew to love. Mm. And I loved the music that she would play, and I was like, you know what, the fact that someone can make me feel this good, 
and I've never met them before through music and the way they talk. That's what I want to do for other people. Um, and I never gave up, and here we are, you know, 10 years later. And here you are. Let me, yeah. let me, let me give you a quote, something that you said that I saw somewhere online. Yeah. You said, when I found radio and I found the love for music and knowing that I could share that with people, I knew that was me or that is me. Yeah. And uh, it wasn't radio uh, from the very no. onset. It wasn't radio. It was no. something else. I'm sure it was... your parents wanted you to do something else. They wanted you to go to school, go to school, and go to school. Exactly. But, but, but what happened? You, you didn't... You didn't um, go to school you went no. to school so I went to college but I never went to university university yeah, yeah. Um, I think I just knew that I wanted to do like be a DJ I just I don't know what it was I just knew something within me was telling me that this is this is my path mm. and you know growing up it's always church you go there you hear I see that you just you just you feel the music yeah you're right so all of those songs the highlights the, the lumbers the Probably a ponce, like everything, mm. just all of those different sounds growing up. I, I knew music was my passion, right? Um, and when I found that I could actually DJ, right, and, and play music for a living and make people feel the way I feel, I was like, Sign me up. You, you, um, went, you went it straight, straight, yeah. Away. And I've been blessed by God. I always give God the glory because mm. without God, I wouldn't be here. But I've been able to DJ in some incredible places, in some incredible venues, and also interview some like sensational stars I across. Am definitely coming to that. Yeah. The recent one I know that you were uh, you put you DJ'd recently, not too yeah. long ago at Wembley. Yeah. Uh, over ninety thousand people. people. And you were in front of these people. Yeah, it was doing what you love. It's crazy when you think tell about me, that. Tell me about the experience. I genuinely thought it was I felt like I was in heaven for a split second because when I looked in front of me there was an ATP marching band. This was the same marching band that performed at the King's Coronation. So they were there, the royal family were there. I look up, I see the blue sky, I, I see the trumpets, the, the noise, the atmosphere. Uh, it, was, it was such a blessing. Right. Uh, and also my family were able to see me DJ. And it was the first time they'd ever seen me live. Wow. My grandma as well. So wow. for me, it was more than just 90,000 people. It was probably the most important moment of my entire life wow. because growing up you know what it's like like you say like they want you to go to school to school to school to school to school but when they see ah, Jeremiah like you're doing something you're doing something well you know and I'm doing something well with my surname you know with my full name Jeremiah Siama because a lot of the time people ask me if I was okay with the idea of shortening my name mm. like even from when I first started out I had so many different names but then I was like what is my name my name is me Right, of so course. yeah, it's it's been a it's been a blessing for uh, the many you know Ghanaians who don't know exactly who you are and yeah. what you've achieved over the years. Uh, I can refresh uh, some of your memory as well. Yeah. I know that uh, you've played at the Baptist, one of the biggest uh, events when it comes to celebrating movies yeah. uh, in, in in the UK yeah. and across the world yeah. because we have people coming from you know America joining in for sure. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, 
you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.